1: People want to interact with their healthcare like they do with the travel industry and everything else they do on their smartphone these days. So we're trying to reduce that friction of, again, through this integrated digital health platform of how people want to interact with us.
0: Thanks for joining us on this keynote episode, a This Week Health conference show. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health a set of channels dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. For five years, we've been making podcasts that amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. Special thanks to our keynote show partners, CDW, Rubrik, Sectra, and Trellix for choosing to invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now on to our show. All right, here we are for another keynote episode. We're joined with Scott McLean, CIO for MedStar Health. Scott, welcome back to the show. Thanks Bill, I'm glad to be with you. It's been a while. We've done a, an interview in action, which is those short 10 minute interviews from one of the uh, conferences. I think it was the Chime Fall, it was a Chime Fall Forum or was it VIVE? I don't remember which one. I think it was VIVE 22, so it's been a little while. Yeah, it has been a while. And nothing's really changed since then, right? So we could just you know tell people, listen back then. No, it's, it's been a pretty eventful, eventful couple of years, but let's, let's start with where I start with all of these. Tell us about MedStar Health. Give us a little background on MedStar.
1: Sure. We are a 10 hospital system in the Baltimore, Washington, D.C. region. We also have an extensive ambulatory network, over 300 locations. Our desire is to be in your backyard and be available for providing healthcare where you need it. We're affiliated with Georgetown University Medical School, a teaching affiliate there, and as well have a, a research operation trying to take the discoveries that we find and apply them as quickly as possible to, to the bedside. And then I partner with other leaders in the organization around innovation, analytics, digital health, and we have lots of exciting things happening in, in those areas. We're about 4,000 physicians, 8,500 nurses, seven and a half billion in annual revenue. And I'm sure on this show, we'll talk about some of the economic issues that are impacting us.
0: Let's start with priorities. It's interesting CIO for a system of of that size and that geography, it's, you know, I I joke that the CIO job, it it is hard to prioritize because you could start the day talking about oncology. You could end the day talking about cafeteria services, I mean, and everything in between. But are, are there specific priorities that you guys are focused in on right now as a health system that you're trying to drive forward with technology?
1: Sure. I I think foundationally, we make an investment every year in our infrastructure and shoring up, making sure these days networks, wired, wireless and cellular networks are are everything for delivering all of our applications, anything that we want to do, whether it's things like the EHR, the ERP system, telephony these days, and then on higher order applications that consumers use, our digital front door, all of our analytics platforms require solid infrastructure Right, that's uh, shrouded in our our security practices, and so there's a lot of emphasis on that. Even in uh, challenging economic times, we are we've outsourced our infrastructure operations, and so we just went through a transition with that, including a data center move. That we're happy that's all completed and, and behind us. We've invested a lot, like others, in the uh, EHR platform over the last decade, and so um, we have solid footing there. Always continuing to optimize that for our clinicians, and then um, in the uh, the digital space, uh, we have what we call an integrated digital health platform. And uh, this is uh, more than just a portal, right? This is a place where uh, consumers who are not even affiliated with us yet can uh, come to us if they're not feeling well or seeking some sort of care. It's multi-channel. So they they might uh, find a a telehealth uh, example, urgent care, primary care, specialty, whatever it might be that's needed. And uh, that also has a a CRM element to it. So we're tracking our consumers and what their wishes are and how they want to be interacted with. And I I think I've said before, this was proven out during the the vaccine time when the COVID vaccine came out in in, uh, late 2020. We were able to invite eligible patients that we knew about and also keep track of people who were interested and then invite them at the time they became eligible.
0: I'd love to dive into two of those areas, one being the access, the patient experience, and talking a little bit about that. I, I wanna I want start with infrastructure. It's interesting that you bring that up. I just read Cleveland Clinic just launched a hospital with 5G over Wi-Fi. I, I thought that was interesting. You know, Software Defined seems to be leading the day these days in terms of the infrastructure. What kind of innovations are you seeing in that space and what are they bringing to healthcare? Sure. Well,
1: I mean, I think it's a journey for for all of us, both in terms of proving out the technology and also the expense and partnering with organizations that can help us do it. So we've talked about the the 5G connectivity versus uh, Wi-Fi, and I think that that may be applicable for us in some of our remote locations that can be served better by a, a 5G connection than using some other connectivity methodology there. And we are putting up a new hospital in, at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital. It's coming online this fall. And we've partnered with one of the carriers for uh, service within that building through distributed antenna system. And I, I think we have yet to see how some of those discoveries will come about to bring about some innovative applications using that 5G service in that building.
0: 5G is interesting to me in that it's not pervasive yet. Even in the major cities, it's not pervasive. And in the case of Cleveland Clinic, they're launching it with a small hospital, like a a very small footprint hospital there. And what they're trying to figure out is, does it bring benefits with regard to, you can prioritize traffic over it a lot better than you can, just an internet traffic line and that kind of stuff. So they're sort of trying it out. And I, I think that's where we are in this stage of 5G, aren't we? I mean, it's sort of like, until it gets pervasive, And until it's, you know, across all of the homes in our market, we have to be careful picking, you know, winners in this technology because the technology platforms can change as we move along. I think that's
1: right, Bill, and I'm not the world's best expert in this, but there are different levels of 5G as well. And so not every place is going to have the the super connectivity that is available through that. But I think there is the ability to deliver that. And that may have some specific applications within healthcare and around perioperative service line, things like that. Interestingly, we were in Alaska in mid-June and uh, those cities along Southeast Alaska are very well outfitted with 5G. I was surprised how good the connectivity is up there. So the carriers have nailed Southeast Alaska, at least with 5G. <laughs> well,
0: are, is Menster primarily uh, urban or do you reach out into some, some uh, rural areas as well? It's both. We have our largest hospitals are in Washington, D.C.,
1: and we have four in Baltimore, but we also have clinics across the Central Maryland, Northern Virginia. So we reach into some less densely populated areas
0: as well. So access is important. I mean, you have some specialties. Within that, within your health system that are needed in the rural areas and whatnot. I assume they are accessible via telehealth and whatnot. How has your telehealth evolved since the pandemic? I assume you had that spike like everybody else. How has it evolved?
1: Sure. Our, um, our telehealth program is situated within our innovation center. And so our chief innovation officer oversees that program, has done a really good job with it. And like many other people, we had a low number of e-visits per day pre-pandemic probably numbered in the in the 30s, which spiked to 4,000 or plus during the, the pandemic. And then I believe it's leveled off around 1,500. Like many people, we've discovered that it's applicable and works well for certain uh, interactions, behavioral health being one of them that I think people really have felt that's worked well. And then others were... Necessity during pandemic, but since then it's not that helpful to have a e-visit for physical therapy. At least in my own personal experience, and some of the the interactions that require touch, obviously that that's less useful.
0: I don't know. My personal trainer does virtual. Like if you go away to a hotel, he's like it, you know, take a video of the equipment and then he will walk you through things. I haven't done that yet, by the way. I use going away as an excuse not to do that. So maybe there's more dedicated people. It's, it's never harmful to have some
1: sort of interaction with a, any type of clinician, but you, you do miss some of the stretching and things that physical therapists can do on site.
0: So talk to me about the patient experience. What are you striving for? What are you hearing from the patients, the community that they would like to see from MedStar and you're trying to deliver with technology?
1: Sure. And here, I want to give a shout out to our chief digital transformation officer. He and his team have done the research and work and preparation for how we're trying to interact with consumers. And it's, it's what you're probably hearing from other organizations, which is that people want to interact with their healthcare like they do with the travel industry and everything else they do on their smartphone these days. And so we're trying to reduce that friction of, again, through this integrated digital health platform of how people want to interact with us. Whatever kind of question they may have, how they want, direction to get to a care channel. And we continue to develop that, that integrated digital health platform to interact with our, our patient portal to provide a seamless experience there. And you know, a lot of what's behind just this technology, just like anything else, is the process and the people that we have. If you think about a very large ambulatory operation, there's a lot of scheduling that has to happen and being able to expose those physician and other schedules appropriately that not everything can be just done by the patient themselves, there are sometimes some clinical screening questions that go into those. So we're trying to optimize that in a way that makes it easy as possible for consumers and patients to to interact with it. And then when there are needed interventions that we would use technologies to optimize those, those questions that need to be answered clinically.
0: If a patient is listening to this, somebody who's not necessarily in the healthcare space Sometimes they wonder, it's like, why is it so hard to do scheduling online? I can book an airline, I can book this. And they always talk about the Amazon experience. Like, why can't I do that in healthcare? Now, I understand this technically, why it's so hard and operationally, why it's so hard. But I, I'd love for you to, to explain why it's it difficult to expose those schedules and probably specifically with the specialties.
1: Sure. Well, just a comment. Generally, I think we are trying to respond to what patients want to do online, and but also keeping in mind that there are clinicians who are also human beings on the other side of it, right, who practice probably in more than one location and also have disruptions in their lives, whether it be another patient emergency or personal thing that happens in their life where the physician needs to have more open space to do something different. So we've gone through and continue to work with our physician community to be able to build schedules that work for them uh, that can then match up to consumer needs. So that's a very complicated algorithm to to get all those spaces correct, standardizing visit types, something that fits into an algorithm for a consumer to interact with versus how it's been done manually for many years. In the specialty space, I, I think it's not helpful for either the patient or the physician to have a mismatch, right? And so if it's oncology, orthopedics, neurosciences, some of these more complex interventions. The clinicians obviously want to understand what the issue is and and make sure that the patient is getting to the right type of physician and right type of appointment. And so that's where traditionally there's been a conversation, at least with some sort of staff person at the clinic or the physician themselves about matching those up. And so we're looking at ways that we can again find where we can make standards and make automated responses versus where some of those conversations have to take place
0: yeah and that's generally what i try to describe to people it's it's not a it's not a technology exercise it's a an operational exercise a specialist has office hours they have rounding they have surgery they have all those different things they have to squeeze that into a schedule and then we're saying oh and by the way can you do some some telehealth visits and some other things it's just not as easy a calculus as what people think it is to just oh just expose their calendar and, and you know let me make an appointment there's a lot that goes into it it can work bill in my own
1: experience the reason i was in alaska i did the uh, anchorage marathon in mid-june and it's 18 weeks of training and preparation and during that time i had some issues of my feet and stuff and needed to have a consult with an orthopedist. And so it was a conversation, but that conversation mostly took place electronically via text and other tools with the orthopedic surgeon's office. And he practices in different places and I was able to be seen sooner if I drove further. So I picked the one where I could be seen sooner and made the drive out to see where he was practicing that day. So it can match up and in those places.
0: Let's talk about the clinician experience. A lot's been made about the clinician experience, burnout and those kind of things, and even safety. I was just reading a couple articles this week of the growing concern of violence against healthcare workers and those kind of things. Does technology play a role in some of that response to the safety that we're concerned about for these people who are trying to deliver care? Yes. And, and
1: we, we're concerned about all of our associates and patients and visitors. And the, the burnout issue is across the board. The safety issues are important for all of the associates that are working in our facilities and our patients and visitors. So yeah, I think, you know, over the years, everyone's doing interventions within the EHR to try to optimize and make clinical workflows easier. So we, we invest a lot in those kind of things. And then Workplace violence prevention is very important to us culturally. We've this year came out with a new standard policy about patient and visitor behavior. And uh, you can see that on our public website. There's a video about it and explains it. And, And then also we've invested in Technologies, security, various video technology, and uh, response, panic response buttons, those kinds of things to help support our, our staff and to get help when they need it to manage situations. Then there's also been uh, de-escalation training and those kinds of tactics.
0: It's alarming that there's more and more of this that's going on. And it's not something that we haven't been talking about for a decade or so. We've been putting things in place all along the way and we have, I would assume at your health system like ours, we had tests, we had dry runs of different scenarios and those kinds of things to prepare for, for violence if it does happen in, in the space. I want to switch the conversation, talk a little bit about data. There's a lot going on in the world of data. There's a belief that we're now able to turn a lot more of our data since meaningful use. We did this a long time ago now. We're able to use our data more to drive better outcomes in care, to uh, assist in the process to get information to the clinician at the point of care that could help them to make diagnosis quicker, more accurately, those kinds of things. Talk a little bit about your work with data and what MedStar is doing in that space. Sure. I think
1: back to when David Blumenthal was the ONC chair and he talked about adopting technology, meaningfully use it, and then getting better outcomes. And I think sometimes we're impatient with the amount of money and time that's been invested uh, about getting those better outcomes. I also think if you think back to pre-CPOE and EMAR days, we we would not want to return to that, right? Pre the interventions we have for medication reconciliation, we, we have come a long way on better outcomes, safer care because of those technologies that have been put in place. Happily, we have a lot of data and I think there's great opportunity. It's the next step in all that we've done around automation and capturing data now the opportunity is to use it well. And I think one of the conversations we've been having and also with our technology partners is margins are so thin in not-for-profit healthcare, particularly that it's hard to employ the the data scientists and people who are analytics experts that perhaps our uh, for-profit technology partners have. If you think about the investment that an Amazon or a Google can or Apple can put into these kind of things, Microsoft versus what a not-for-profit healthcare can. So we're looking for opportunities to partner better with our EHR and uh, ERP vendors around this type of use. And and I really think, Bill, the the holy grail is. Is turning those data into useful information that can be fed back at the point of care that we can tee up various, just like we have with clinical decision support, we can have more sophisticated decision support in our uh, transactional systems where that can be applied right away. And and I think this is just a matter of time in terms of getting our, our genomics data. We know that there are specifics about us as individuals that various drug therapies can work better or, or not, depending on who we are. And, and I think this is a matter of categorizing and loading our systems, organizing data in a way that, that it can be better used. And of course, uh, I mentioned research earlier, being being able to Take the latest discoveries both in in teaching and research uh, that we're learning and and apply them. It's one of these things where it's not going to happen overnight, but I think in another decade from now, we're going to be in a lot different place because of the progress made there.
0: All right, we'll get back to the show in just a minute. If you've been with us for any period of time this year, we've partnered with Alex's Lemonade Stand to raise money for cures for childhood cancer. And we are so excited. We set a goal to raise $50,000 and we're already up over 27,000, are 26,700 for the year. So we're close to 27,000, I'm rounding up. We went to the VIVE conference and with your help, and the help of just an amazing community, generous community, and our partners as well, we were able to raise $16,500. So thank you all for your generosity. We're gonna do it again. As you know, we did Captain's Cures for Childhood Cancer at the VIVE Conference, and anyone who got their picture taken with Captain, who was facing the camera, we gave $1 to Alex's Lemonade Stand. We're heading to Hims and bringing Captain again, and we're gonna do the same thing. As you know, Captain is my producer service dog. He'll be roaming the floor. If you see Captain, stop us. We would love to have your picture taken and we would love to have you participate in this campaign. We really appreciate our partners who helped to make this possible. For this one, so far we have Rubric, So we still have a couple of spots. If you want to participate, if you want your company to participate, let them know that they can participate in this and we will give you the details. You can shoot us a note at partner at thisweekhealth.com. Com. It's real simple. If you're on the floor, you see Captain, get your picture taken, anyone facing the camera, go ahead and post it to social media, Twitter or LinkedIn, tag This Week Health. That's how we do the counting. And again, 16505 I think we can do it again at the HIMSS conference and really make a dent in our goal to get to $50,000 for childhood cancer. It's going to be exciting. We appreciate our partners who stepped up during the VIVE conference. And obviously we appreciate Rubrik being our first partner to step up for the HIMSS event. So look forward to seeing you at HIMSS. Now back to the show. You've described an interesting organization structure. As we were going through this, you talked about chief digital officer, chief innovation officer. Talk a little bit about that structure and how you operate together to bring innovation and technology into MedStar.
1: And I would add to that we have a VP of Performance Improvement and Analytics. I work with those three other leaders. And the four of us have the bulk of, of what happens with technology within MedStar Health. I think it starts with, like anything else in these jobs, with good relationships, right? So I have effective relationships with those leaders and communicate regularly about initiatives. And- Like most companies, we have a five-year strategic plan and an annual operating plan that guides us on what the priorities are for getting initiatives accomplished. And I think we look to governance structures to be able to make the best decisions on priorities, knowing that everything that we're doing, whether it's, I mentioned telehealth in the innovation space, they also are doing robotic process automation over there, digital front door, our analytics program. All of these things run on the same technology stack that my team is running. So we, we do have to be coordinated, communicate regularly with each other, and then also be able to provide visualizations to our executive leaders when decisions have to be made about what happens first.
0: What, what governance groups would you sit on? I assume the IT technology projects and those kind of things. Just describe some of the governance organizations that you're a part of. I think it's evolving for us. Traditionally, we have had
1: a combination of leaders who deal with uh, infrastructure investments and, and that's more limited to, to me, the, the my boss, the CIO, the CFO, uh, the CTO. We have an IT security committee that deals with all the protections around information security. And then when it comes to, Other clinical and administrative projects, we have various committees that govern our EHR and our ERP systems. And I think as we continue to get pressed on economics and resources are more limited, we will probably look at things this fiscal year as more overall. And and that's going to involve most of our senior executive leaders looking at all the projects at the same time.
0: With the countless vendors that are calling you saying AI, AI, generative AI, will there be an AI governance or will there be an IT governance that that would go through?
1: Sure. I I think that the three principles around that first is we're we're embracing the technology. We believe it's useful and want to find the right use cases for it. We know that there are probably some protections uh, that need to take place, if not policy standards, and helping people understand that these uh, generative AI algorithms are are voraciously eating everything that we'll we'll put into them. So caution around putting PII or PHI into them, any personal information information And then we may get to some some additional technical controls around that. We want to be able to move at the pace that people are, again, where we're an academic and research organization, which we're trying to discover the right ways these should go forward. We don't want to miss opportunities, and we also want to be wise about it. So I think that it's a at the moment, it's interdisciplinary. It's IS, it's compliance, legal with some clinical input.
0: Are there, just hypothetically here, I'm not not really asking specifically, are there specific use cases that you're looking at that you're going, I, I see some promise in, in these different areas for generative AI specifically? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think that on the administrative side, it's a little less complex, right? There's the, if people are trying to generate documents and people have cited ability to create better ways of presenting information by using generative ai and assuming again we're we're not feeding any company information into the the engine that that seems like a pretty useful uh use case On, on the the clinical side there are issues around it right accuracy issues uh phi issues and finding the the promise of how that can be used again with uh, different iterations of the engines that might come into a protected environment, right? That could be used with our rich data set to be able to generate some of the decision support that we talked about
0: earlier. You you brought, I see a lovely picture of your family behind you over your shoulder. And you talked about running a marathon and those kind of things. I found that the worst time health-wise in my life was when I was a CIO. Like when I was working in healthcare was the time I really let myself go. It was just a very challenging and difficult time. Talk about how you balance those things and how you prioritize your whole life as opposed to just your work life.
1: It's a great question, Bill. And I think it's important for all of us as individuals and people are different. I like running. A lot of people don't like running and I knew Particularly in 2023, the the gauntlet that I had to run between January and June was going to be very challenging at work with all that we had going on, which also coincides with our, our fiscal year ends June 30th. So I specifically signed up to to do this marathon because I was wanted to carve out time in the early mornings that I could spend running by myself, and you know use various podcasts and books on tape and and ways that I wanted to think through things as I was out there. So that worked for me and. Relatively healthy, and I didn't get super injured during the prep or during the, the race. So I think finding those things, and my wife and I try to have a regular good diet and sleep schedule, and our kids are now grown and out of the house. We're trying to do that empty nest thing and be healthy.
0: For us, we're there now. It's actually easier to be healthy when you're empty nest rather than running to this event and that event as things, as life sort of happens. Talk a little bit about your involvement with Chime. Talk about the things that you guys are doing there and, and your involvement with Chime.
1: It's a great honor. I'm serving on the board of CHIME and just a delight to be able to do that. So since I became a CIO in 2006, I was eligible and joined right away and have participated in various committees and groups. I'm working on the Policy Steering Committee, which is great because we're close to DC and the folks that are working there. And I think that the organization has and is evolving as the role of the CIO changes. I think you know we have tried to also expand the organization to involve our applications leaders, technology and security leaders, and the CIO bootcamp program. Has been running for, I think, 20 years now. I think I went to it in 2003. So that's, again, helping meet our mission of the pipeline of the next generation of CIOs. We've been talking a lot about the digital transformation and that important role within Chime as well, helping our leaders increasingly move from what might have been a traditional technology leadership to how do we partner with the business as the world becomes more digital and and has these needs and healthcare transforms like other businesses have to be useful in the uh, online space. So I I think the the future is bright. We've continued to grow in terms of our membership, our international involvement, the offerings that we have. In addition to the fall forum that we've always had, the the spring event now is Vive as partnered with health. And I think that's that's been successful the last couple of years. We're optimistic about that.
0: I'd, I'd love to hear more about your policy work. What do we need from DC? What do we need from the, the capital in order to be more effective as health IT leaders in the industry? Sure.
1: It's, I, I think
0: there's two sides of this. One is we have an agenda every year
1: that we're always advocating for. And one of the perennial things that we're looking for is a unique patient identifier across the country. We think that would be very helpful for safety and systems interoperability. We talk a lot with the federal government about cybersecurity and how we can support healthcare providers in that there is always a uh, discussion around, we, we talked earlier about bandwidth and uh, more rural areas of the country and how we can help deliver uh, appropriate care by utilizing technologies in, in those remote spaces. And then uh, we, we deal with what the government comes up with, various changes in security and privacy rules. They'll be looking further into generative AI regulations. So we get in the conversation with the legislature and the federal branch around those things. And we have Really top notch leaders working specifically in Washington with those groups who are knowledgeable and are, are able to represent us. And whenever there's a chance to comment on a, a rulemaking process, we, we generate letters for that and have a whole process that I think works really well to vet those and is representative of the membership and what we want to communicate with DC.
0: We just did a webinar on rural health care. And I'll be honest, I learned a ton like I I didn't realize how ignorant I was of the challenges they face and one of the things that they pointed out is the uh, rural broadband pays for up to I think like 50 or 60% of their cost of broadband and I asked them how important is it for that to continue, they said Oh, it's, a, it's absolutely critical. We wouldn't have it otherwise? Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's foundational. Um, but there was an article that talked about that's not in stone for whatever. It has a lifespan on it, and it will have to come up for discussion. But that it's so important for them, the capital does, because they they rely on those dollars. They rely on those initiatives.
1: Just like we talked about with the economics of not-for-profit healthcare, this is obviously true for government spending and, and, and how we're allocating resources that are, that are limited. And I think it's, it's sausage making, right? It's difficult, but I think it's important for us to advocate and help influence and make uh, the right decisions for the top priorities
0: uh okay exit question let's go in a a little different direction what have you learned about dealing with vendor partners what do you look for in a vendor partner just over the years you've been doing this for a while what advice would you give them in working with a cio in approaching a cio and having conversations with a cio
1: sure and it, it fits in with our conversation about chime and and the work there i always tell vendor partners that my my first role out of college when I graduated from electrical engineering, I worked for GE. And so I was on the vendor side, right? And I understood what it was like to approach a customer and what, what questions you might ask. And I think fundamentally, it comes down to relationship. As CIOs, we know what's out there generally. We're not going to get surprised by someone cold calling and saying, hey, I have this thing that you, you can buy. So I think over time, different needs come about. And I, the way I work is generally, we I have some excellent vice presidents who over technology and applications and security that they are scanning the market, they're looking at things. And when it's time for us to do an RFP or bring some new technology in, they're generally bringing it forward. So I think working those relationships within the organizations and being patient about the right timing. And again, there's the possibility, I think people always fear that they're going to miss out on some RFP but we think very carefully when we do an RFP about who to invite and are always scanning the market for that.
0: I think it's interesting how many vendor partners are like, we need to get in front of the CIO. And in my position, I I was like, it probably wasn't as important to get in front of me as it was my lieutenants because they were deciding, hey, here are the security, when it got down to the specific technologies, they were the ones who were saying, this is the technology we want in security. These are the technologies we want in the software defined data center in the networking space and whatnot. It wasn't like I was I was weighing in that deeply that I was going, oh no, we're not going with that one. We'll go with this one. I mean, right. now every now and then they'd come to me and say, hey, this one or this one, we could go either way, which one's more in line. But for the most part, that those teams, but again, it's hard to convince vendor partners that they're like, no, I got to get in front of the CIO. Well, and you're going to talk to the CIO and they're going to say, you should talk to this person. Right, right. And sometimes
1: that's helpful of finding out who in the organization, but it's such a world where you can find org structures and contact information out there pretty easily. And I think you're exactly right, Bill. It's working the organization, understanding the experts in each type of technology that we oversee, and then they'll bring that forward. And I, I get a kick out of it. We're a Oracle Health shop have been for over 20 years and the number of people i have soliciting epic analysts for me is just it's kind of funny right so it's really hard to respond to emails and phone calls but particularly when someone's trying to sell me epic people when i don't need them is
0: one of my friends who he was a vendor partner of mine back in the days about 10, 12 years ago. We joke, my name's Bill. His name is Jeremy. I call him Jerry. He calls me Phil. I said, because I got so many emails that said, hey, Phil, we really appreciate it. I'm like, man, if you don't even know my name. Right. Point. It's hard to
1: even politely decline, right? Because then you get in an email loop or a, a phone loop with people when you're just saying, hey, this isn't the time or whatever.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Scott, hey, I, I really appreciate your time and I appreciate you sharing your experience with the community. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bill. It's great seeing you. I love the chance to have these conversations. I think if I were a CIO today, I would have every team member listen to a show like this one. I believe it's conference level value every week. If you wanna support This Week Health, tell someone about our channels. That would really benefit us. We have a mission of getting our content into as many hands as possible. And if you're listening to it, hopefully you find value. And if you could tell somebody else about it, it helps us to achieve our mission. We have two channels. We have the conference channel, which you're listening to, and This Week Health Newsroom. Check them out today. You can find them wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast, you get the picture. We are everywhere. We want to thank our keynote partners, CDW, Rubrik, Sectra, and Trellix, who invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.